This is a peer-centered group for adult adoptees from various regions of South America and extended Latin Americas. Our mission is to provide adoptees with a space for connection, support, and encouragement in any step of their journeys. Welcome back to Colombian Influence. Welcome back, everyone. So excited to be doing another interview today. This is a podcast where we talk about adoption using our own experiences as adoptees, as well as stories from others in our community. So today we're going to be interviewing adoptees of South America. It's two women who started this. Uh, We'll dive deep into them, but we are so excited to have both of them on our podcast. All right, so as we mentioned, we have adoptees of South America today. So I guess whoever wants to start, you can just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you're adopted from, kind of how old you are now, things like that. Um, I can go first. So my name is Megan. I was born on April 17th of 1996 in Quito, Ecuador, which is the capital, and it's in South America. Um, I currently live in Massachusetts. I've been here since I was adopted, same small town, so I haven't moved. Um, and yeah, what else? Um, uh, favorite color. <laughs> my favorite color is purple. <laughs> awesome. Love it. <laughs> and what about me, right, Maria? Uh, Yeah, so my name is Maria. I was born in Quito, Ecuador, South America, just like Megan. Um, I live in Texas now. I was adopted when I was um, two and a half, and I was brought to the U.S. when I was three, and I have lived here um, ever since, and I am 37 years old. Okay. And what's your favorite color? Oh, Mm, I it's hard to pick one. Right now, I'm really kind of vibing with, like, natural Mm. tones. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so you were adopted from Quito, Ecuador. Um, and how old were each of you when you were adopted? So I was born in April of 1996, and I wasn't legally adopted until October of 1996, so I was still an infant. And for me, I was uh, two, and half, two and a half years old. And I was, yeah, born January 2684. So with that, um, Maria, were you in like a foster care at that point? No, I was uh, placed in an orphanage. Okay. Yeah, um, when I was 11 months old. Got it. Yeah. And and still like the details surrounding um, exactly, because I've got like stories that I was um, relinquished there and then where I was picked up again and then and found and then brought back. And so it the exact details are kind of mm-hmm. still blurry right now. Sure. Mm. Interesting. And so do either of you, I mean, I guess that kind of answers that question, but Megan, do you know a lot behind like the reason for your adoption or de- like details about bio family? Yeah, I do actually. Um, so I've been in reunion since June of 2018 and that's when I really started to learn a lot more because my adoption was closed. So I really didn't have really any information um, for a while. Um, but I did, mm-hmm. I was placed with a foster family when I was two days old and it was actually an American foster family. They were in the military at that point. Yeah. And I've been in contact with them wow. recently. So it's been, my story is finally starting to kind of fall into place and I'm learning different things, but also like Maria said, I, there's still some gaps even with having contact with my birth family. It's not a complete story. I don't think it ever will be. Um, but I've wow. been learning for a while, new things. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's kind of cool putting the pieces together, but I agree. Mm-hmm. I think we'll never know the full thing. And sometimes what I've noticed is I think my birth mom wanted to tell me things that I'd want to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just, tell me the truth. Like, yeah. was it mm-hmm. this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. You know, I know, I know you had to do what you had to do, but mm-hmm. I yeah. totally understand that. Yeah, knowing those details, it's like, can we just get something? Yeah, I know. <laughs> something. Yeah, even being in reunion on my end, mm-hmm. like, I still, there's still some questions that I haven't asked because mm-hmm. I just, I guess I'm waiting for the right opportunity to it because some of the stuff is kind of deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's really so interesting. You had reunions with your family. <laughs> or did you only meet your birth mom or did you meet other people? Um, so I've been in reunion for about a little over two years now, and I, 
first contacted my birth mom when I found that was like my priority. I never really, it's funny because I never really thought too much about my birth father for some reason. I always Mm, felt that connection to my birth mom. Mm -hmm. So really that's who I was searching for. And I had a photo of her that I've had with me since I was little. So that was like my main person. Yeah. Yep. So that's how I actually found her. I was using um, Ancestry and I sent the picture to like everybody that I connected with desperately trying to make a connection. And that's how it works. Finally. Um, Yeah. Oh my God. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so basically I've met both of them. I speak to both of them, my birth father and my birth mother. Um, It's definitely been a different relationship, but I'm, I'm glad that I do have contact with both of them now. Are they still together? No. So my birth father was married at the time that he and my mom were together. So that partially played into the role of putting me for adoption because she has struggled financially throughout her whole life. Um, And he was married. So there wasn't really any effort going in from his point. So that's pretty much the circumstances that led up to my adoption. So it's been interesting. Once I did found them, it was... A lot of a lot of people didn't know about me, especially on my birth father's side. Um, I'm still a little unclear if he knew about me or not. Like Maria said, there's even though I'm in reunion, there's not a lot of like a hundred percent complete answers. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Maria? Um, yeah. So I found my birth family during the pandemic last year. Hmm. Um, I've been searching since 2007 and it finally, I don't know, oh, everything aligned. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. And I think the pandemic kind mm. of allowed my husband and I to like truly hone in on like only focusing on that, mm. you know, cause we all, I, I have two kids as well. <clears throat> mm. And so, um, you know, not always having energy to just like dive into investigation work, but yeah, I found them and I connected with my uh, my birth mother first, and then she told me the name of my birth father, who lives in the U.S., um, and I didn't know that. Wow. Uh, yeah, and so we've been in reunion. Um, it's going to come up uh, in just a few months, I guess, where it all started happening. So it's been pretty interesting. Well, that's pretty exciting. Closer to you than you mm-hmm. thought. My goodness. Yes. Um, yeah, she's still in Ecuador, and he is um, upstate. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, just navigating um, and learning how to have two families Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of figuring out how you fit into this new, um, new old family, you know, and like Megan, my story as well, my birth father was married (laughs) and yeah. Mine as well. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, really? Come on, (laughs) y'all. Be adults here. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it, it, and that's frustrating you to know that detail, like y'all, you know, we're being irresponsible, but um, here we are and trying to heal from it and just trying to um, navigate uh, through the knowledge that we know, the knowledge that we may not know, and just, you know, we're on this journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Megan, did you, or both of you even, did you guys go back to Ecuador? Yes. So I've been back. The first time I went back after I located my birth family was in November. So November 2018, I believe. Um, And I was in school. I was working towards my master's degree. So I really didn't have too much time to like fit into my schedule to travel. So I chose a long weekend. I don't remember what it was specifically, but it was like four days that I went there. So it was a very short trip. It was very rushed. It was very a lot to take in after 21 years of not knowing anything so that was the first time I went back I did meet my birth father and my birth mother and all of their family um and then I've been Mm. back the last time I went back was August of 2019 I was planning on going this May when I graduate from school but I don't Mm. know now the pandemic I don't think it's the best option for me or for them honestly so I'm thinking I'm gonna have to wait for a little while unfortunately well I Mm. love that a couple times too I mean that's Going back cool. from just seeing, you know, the mm-hmm. culture and everything, you just kind of feel at home in a sense. Yeah, it's really, it's it's a very overwhelming experience um, because it is a whole new culture, a whole new really lifestyle. Um, but it is, I'm so grateful to be able to go. I'm planning on, I want to try and go at least once a year for the rest of my life. And I know that can seem like 
a very big plan, but I just feel like it's so important to me that I really need to work it in there somehow. That's really good though. I I like that. That's kind of, you know, become part Mm -hmm. of your like big picture is just committing to that. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I have not been back to my country. Um, I wished that it was something that was included in my, um, my life growing up. Mm -hmm. I think it would have helped me like dealing with identity and language and all that stuff. Um, and so part of me wishes that, that that was something that could be included in adoption. You know, if we're going to do that and we're going to, you know, remove people from their culture and identity and families, let's allow them to go back. Like let's provide, let's give them the, mm-hmm. the, the time and energy and resources so that they can make their way back um, whenever they choose to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, I have not been back and I was actually planning on going to Ecuador uh, in the summer of last year, 2020. Oh. And this was before, this is before, um, like I had, a, that was like in my mind, like, I'm just going to go and we're going to search and mm-hmm. that's, you know, check out the orphanage and do all that. And it, it, it kind of <laughs> happened where I met them first and then it was, okay, well, let's, let's plan it. And then of course the pandemic never got better. And so, um, I have not made it back, but it is a plan of mine and I have been making notes on what I want to do when I get there and it may not happen that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that I definitely want to do. Now I am planning to go meet my birth father in just a couple of weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. so yeah. So I just, I was telling Megan this morning that I purchased, um, we're, we're driving, we're not going to fly. We're bringing the kids. I have mm-hmm. a 16 year old and a seven year old oh. and we're going to drive and it's t- about 25 hours. Um, oh we God. do road trips anyway, so it's not like... <laughs> It, it's not, you know, that part is not overwhelming, but we um, booked our first hotel. So oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, that's so exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It didn't sit in until I purchased. We were looking at the map. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, sh-. <laughs> yeah. was like, really? What is happening? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, so that's awesome for, like, both of you guys. I love your outlook on, you know, kind of how things have gone and mm-hmm. what you guys want to do to like change them and everything. Mm-hmm. Rewinding that back then kind of to your, like, I don't know, way of becoming like American and such, like what uh, kind of background can you give us on like your adoptive families? And I guess maybe that kind of experience growing up, did you guys grow up in the, um, I know Megan, you had said that you live in Massachusetts where you mm-hmm. grew up. Yep. Um, Maria, you're in Texas now. Where did you mm-hmm. originally grow up? Um, Houston, Houston. I, oh, I grew up in okay. Houston. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been here. Um, I mean, I, I moved like 30, about 30, 40 minutes away from that area. Um, but people don't know. So I always just say Houston. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, my parents are white, you know, they were from, uh, Pennsylvania and Louisiana, um, okay. white extended family. They adopted my sister here in Texas. She's my older sister. Then they adopted me from Ecuador and then they adopted my younger brother from Trinidad and Tobago, where we did live for about two years. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I have I have siblings who are adopted, but they are not very open about talking. Like, it, it's just not a thing that they talk about. Um, so I kind of, we could relate on knowing that we were all adopted, but it wasn't um, something that was talked about among the three of us. Um, I grew up in a pretty white area. Yeah. So, you know, honestly, the schools were pretty mix, a mix of a different, but, you know, I went to, um, swimming lessons that was predominantly white. I went to dance school, predominantly white. I went to gymnastics that was predominantly white. Um, and so that I believe affected me growing up, not seeing, Mm -hmm. you know, racial mirrors, um, not being exposed to it. And I could honestly say that it wasn't something that my parents did intentionally. I just don't think they understood the, um, like the, the necessary part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, and I know like they've got good hearts and everything. And I just do not think that they realize that even talking to them now, present day and talking about my struggles, they, they just, they were not aware. They were not aware of it. And with that, um, I guess, the thing that I'm kind of realizing by doing a podcast is my parents are learning a lot more about me mm-hmm. that I've just kind of kept hidden. Is that kind mm-hmm. of the same with you guys starting your journey? For me, yes. Um, 
because I think I just, if I look back, I, I feel like I kind of just like fit in, you know, where it looks, everything looks good. And I never Mm -hmm. talked about my struggles. I really didn't. And I think it was just not wanting to talk about the struggles, not wanting to impose any of my insecurities in the spaces that I took up. And so I am as an adult with children seeing how important it is to create dialogue so that they naturally feel safe and mm-hmm. um, willing and open to discuss things, you know? And so I am having to talk to my parents about things that we never talked about race mm-hmm. and my hair and wishing that I had learned Spanish and wishing they yeah. had taken me to Ecuador. And um, it, it started it. Out, <laughs> yeah, it started out awkward, honestly. And now <laughs> I'm seeing like mm-hmm. through just being vulnerable and making the implicit explicit, they're understanding where I'm coming from now and they're mm-hmm. trying to understand and, um, you know, they're listening. They, they're giving, I mean, at one point I had to ask for emotional support and it wasn't that they weren't necessarily giving it, but it's like, I need more. Yeah. And I had to say it and they were like, okay, you mm-hmm. know, we didn't, we didn't know that that was a struggle that you were having. And what about you, Megan? What was your, um, kind of growing up, uh, everything? Mm-hmm. Um, So like I said, I'm in Massachusetts. My town that I live in is a small, predominantly white town. I looked it up recently, and I think it's like 97% white. So there really is not growing up. There was really nobody. There was actually, interestingly enough, there was another um, kid who was about a year older than me, and he was adopted from Ecuador as well. But we never like, we never built a friendship or a connection or anything. So that kind of was a little bit sad looking back on. But really, there was no buddy else that looked like me my family is Irish um so they my sisters are light hair blue eyes um my grandmother's blue eyes my adoptive mom blue hair blue eyes blonde hair um so I didn't like Maria I didn't have I think it was a little bit different for her in Texas but here I really didn't have anybody that looked like me um so that was really really hard for me and it's funny because I can remember being in Spanish class in middle school and they were teaching us about Selena and we were watching the movie and they were showing us all these videos about her. And that was the first time that I can vividly remember seeing somebody that sort of resembled me and my like fascination with her and everything has really gone, started there and it continues. Um, but I definitely think that was a really, that was a really big struggle for me trying to identify yourself Mm. at such a young age in a space where nobody looks like he was very isolating So I kind of almost feel like, and similar to Maria's parents, my parents didn't intentionally do it. They just, I really, speaking with them now, I just really don't think they had any idea of how important it is because they are white. Um, But it was hard for sure. And I definitely think now in college is when I really started to expand like my social circle and my friend group and started reaching out with other people and connecting. So it's definitely been a change. Well, that's, I think that's kind of like all of our journeys, it, you know, when mm-hmm. you're younger, it's hard to really express those feelings because you're unsure of what those feelings are too. But there's that. Yeah. There's that. And then there's also that there's not language, you know, mm-hmm. where, where are we going to formulate this language? I didn't know that I could feel sad about loss of culture, you know, because it was never introduced. So it was like, it was almost like it was, erased from my memory. So I, why would I feel sad about it type of thing? Right. And, and mm-hmm. now as an adult, I can say that, well, no mom, like I wish you would have pushed me into learning Spanish because now I'm struggling. Now I'm struggling yeah. to learn it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting also just like the way that the four of us have some elements of growing up that are very similar just because like mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. didn't necessarily have a lot of the, um, not looking like people or not really just because like, obviously I appear to, you know, I appear to be white or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like that, that was never an issue. I Mm -hmm. I grew up in a predominantly white town. I was in Northfield, Minnesota, which is like a very, it's a very liberal white Mm -hmm. college town. And I did know some other Mm -hmm. Colombian adoptees actually that are, you know, from the same orphanage and everything that my family knew um, kind of just growing up. So, I mean, there was that, Mm -hmm. but it was like, I also was just kind of like flying under the radar. So it was mm-hmm. more so instead of like feeling mm-hmm. I, I stick out in this way from this white town and I don't have this identity. It was more so like you are this identity. It was just kind of like that mm-hmm. kind of element, which mm-hmm. I think is interesting that we all have that kind of yeah. little bits and pieces that are kind of different yet the same. And then, you know, 
you know, Erica can kind of mm-hmm. tell you where she's from as well. And it's a little bit different than all of ours too. Yeah. I, I definitely had yeah. all types of cultures, diversity. I mean, I grew up in an area where. I think it's the most diverse city in Minnesota actually, mm-hmm. or like suburb, I guess. technically. Yeah. And so oh, wow. I didn't feel that as much, um, which I'm very thankful for because I know it's a huge struggle on identity and just kind of really understanding how you can express yourself. I mean, you try to suppress those different feelings and how you do your hair, how you look or all Mm. those different things. Mm -hmm. I, of course, you know, I hung out with more, I guess my grouping was different, but I always wanted to straighten my hair or things like that, just to try to Mm -hmm. fit in with other people who I would be at, you know, a basketball camp with or something like that. So I, I mm-hmm. did it, but not to the degree, degree where you guys all kind of connected with that, for sure. It's funny you mentioned the straightening yeah. your hair part, because I still do that. And it's something that I can't. I started straightening my hair, like, I believe it yeah. was middle school. I got my first straightener, and I straightened yeah. my hair till it was oh, dead. Oh, yeah. I, I just really, I guess, yeah, I guess, like, looking back, mm-hmm. it's like I was trying mm-hmm. to fit in in some aspects. But it's something that I still struggle with today. I do straighten my hair pretty much every day and I'm trying to learn to love my hair was super curly when I was younger and now since I straightened it so much it's a little like wavy um but it's something that I still struggle Mm -hmm. with like loving about myself Mm -hmm. it's I think we all probably yeah I at least uh, I know Erica and I've talked about that with uh hair straighteners I asked for one like Mm -hmm. because mine just like back with like the straighteners that existed you know early 2000s they were not good they could not do this and it would take three Mm -hmm. hours and people would always like you know, it's sleepovers. Like, can we straighten your hair? And right. it would take literally like three hours and look really shoddy. And it was just like, <laughs> it wasn't good. So I eventually gave up, but like, I didn't have good hair until I was 18. And it was just, I started going to a mm-hmm. really great salon here in the Twin Cities that's called Curl Power. And it's all about like all curly hair. Mm-hmm. Um, like the stylist, the majority of them have curly hair. That's and awesome. it's all about, like, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, actually going with your curl identity and stuff and not straight. I don't even think they have a straightener in there probably, which is good, but (laughs) yeah. That's awesome. It's interesting that something like that can be such a big thing with identity too. It's just like some people, people take it for granted, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Well, I think also with your parents, I mean, they don't have curly hair. They don't know how to handle it. So that, you know, Mm -hmm. you're just trying to make it easy for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. I was just talking to my mom, um, my adopted mother, I think a day or two ago and we were talking about hair and she mentioned, um, you know, my struggles and we were talking about it and she said, well, I didn't really feel like I had any um, like difficulties working in your hair. And I was like, mom, do you not remember like trial and error on all these products? She was like, well, maybe I don't remember. I was like, what? And she's like, all I know is you wanted me to buy relaxers. And I was like, yeah, and I would relax my hair. And she, and I'm like, mom, we were constantly going, trying to find something that would straighten my hair and, She's like, I, I kind of yeah. remember that. And I'm like, it, yeah. And I, I wear my hair uh, mm-hmm. curly now. I've been wearing mm-hmm. it curly for about, um, yeah, over five years. Um, and I've been wearing it down uh, like this past two years. Just, yeah. I used to always just put it in a bun mm-hmm. and I'm going mm-hmm. it out and I'm just trying to embrace it. And it's, it's crazy wild hair. But um, <laughs> I, when I when I first video chat chatted my birth mother, I saw where the curly hair came from. And it was pretty cool. Oh. I love mm-hmm. that. Okay, so you both did a search for your birth family and have had some success, which is awesome. I guess going a little bit more into detail, did you have any regrets or do you have any regrets searching for your birth family? Um, I think personally, I don't have any regrets because it's something that I just felt like deep in my soul ever since I was little that I had to do it regardless of the outcome. And I think I think looking back now, it's easier to say, like, I probably never would have done it. I don't know. It's hard because the way that it turned out for me, it turned out well. I mean, it's not perfect. It's not, it could have been a lot worse. So I think for me, even if I didn't find them, I think I just felt that I needed to do it to even try to do it. Um, Just because it's something that I always longed for, but I don't think I have any regrets. I think the only thing that I wish I had done was kind of document more, like, when I was searching for them, I wish I kind of video recorded myself or like voice message or something so that I could have something to look back with. Because 
for me, I have a really bad memory and I don't know if that's because some things that I went through, I don't want to remember or some things, I don't know. So that's something I really wish that I would have done. But in terms of regretting, like finding them and building that connection, I don't I think I have any personally. I, I wrote like a little journal, but I wish I would have done mm-hmm. a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would have been great. I've seen yeah. a lot of people mm-hmm. do that more recently. So I think that's something that mm-hmm. I wish that I had done. That's good. For me, I, you know, mentioned that I began my search in 2007 and I was 23 at the time and I actually documented everything. Um, I was, yeah, I documented videos between calling the orphanage in 2014, um, conversations that I was just having with friends. I, and I was trying to write a book and I just, I, it's been on hold for a while now, but that's why I started documenting but I agree with Megan, like it's important, especially for, to be able to see where we started and where, where we ended up. And also like Megan, she said, you know, regardless of whether we were going to find our families, I knew I wanted to search and I knew that I wanted some answers. And along the way, it has helped me heal. Just kind of taking back the narrative and saying, you know, my life didn't just start as soon as I landed in the U S like I had a mother and a father and, you know, I'm going to figure out something, whether they no, they're no longer alive, whether they don't want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I want to know those things so that I can, you know, continue to move on. And so, you know, when I came into reunion with them, I, I told myself, like, I don't think that I would have been able to handle this as a teenager because Mm -hmm. it was, it's hard. And so I remember though, when I was younger, man, it would be cool. You know, if I could talk to them and just tell them that I'm okay and let them know that I lived a good life, you know, whatever the narrative is in that. But I honestly believed it. It happened at a good time, even though it was painful, painful, not knowing painful, Um, feeling anger and sadness during the process of it. But I think that it happened at a good time. My kids are older and they can have kind of an understanding of what I'm going through um, and they can support me as best as they can for, you know, their age. But, um, but yeah, I don't have any regrets. I, it's been painful and hard and sad, but there've been a lot of beautiful moments since I've reconnected with them. So I guess with um, just kind of in regards uh, before we kind of move on and talk about what you guys do, um, how do you think that like adoption has affected your mental health? Um, As far as my mental health, I have been in therapy since about high school on and off. Initially, I had went because my mom, my adopted mom thought it would benefit me in some way, but I felt forced at that time. So it didn't really go very well. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember anything like successful coming out of that, but it wasn't until I believe college that I started searching for a therapist by myself. Um, just because I was in the search process. So I wanted somebody to talk about talk about it with that wasn't necessarily a family member because at that time I really didn't want to hurt their feelings or like think that they want them to think that they had done anything to kind of cause that um so I found a therapist I switched since then a few times I've had my current therapist for three years actually and she yeah I've been with her for a while and she actually works for an agency that works with adoptees and adoptive families Um, so that has been super helpful with me because she really understands where I'm coming from and she's really helped me connect the fact that I've had anxiety. I believe since I was born, I think that the initial separation from my birth mom is really what stemmed that from me. And I didn't have words to put to that. Like I am right now until I finally met her and had somebody to talk it through with. Um, so yeah, I've had anxiety. I've dealt with anxiety my whole entire life. So having somebody to learn different skills to kind of, I don't think it will ever go away, but having somebody, some way to manage it has been really beneficial for me. Um, but I think mental health is a huge topic as far as adoptees go. And I'm so glad that so many people are starting to speak out and share their stories and we're finding a way to heal. And I think it's really wow. beautiful. You like nailed that question. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I was connected to so much I went when I to therapy when I was younger. 
it did feel forced and yeah. to do it mm-hmm. natural and healing completely. So that was great. <laughs> Thank you. What about you, Maria? <laughs> mm, that is a very great question. For me, I went to therapy mm, when I was a young teenager and I was very resistant about it. It wasn't something that I was excited to talk about because I wasn't talking about it at home. So it was kind of like, okay, we're going to talk about this thing, but I like, I have to trust somebody to be able to talk about it. Um, so I was very resistant into it. Um, I was diagnosed with some depression. Um, and so I've navigated life through that. I'm not on medication or anything like that. And I'm not seeing a therapist, but I've, and I don't, you know, recommend this for everybody, but I kind of working through it on my own, um, understanding Mm. and knowing what, um, is necessary for me to thrive. Um, community is one, uh, one of the biggest things that I've found, you know, recently, um, and just talking about it, talking about my journey and my feelings and knowing that they're valid. Um, because when we're validated, then we know that we're not just this weird human being that's, you know, that something's wrong with them. Um, because of course, you know, many of us may feel abandonment and that may cause us to feel separated from, you know, those around us as a whole. Um, so yeah, community has helped, um, quite a bit. Um, but yeah, talking about it and just being, uh, open on, you know, how it affects me day to day. Mm-hmm. And when you say community, have you joined different support groups like locally or is it Facebook groups, you know, just doing your Instagram kind of YouTube connecting? Can you go into a little bit more depth than that? Yeah, um, I honestly have not looked into any groups here locally. And so that is something that I want to do. I've uh, had a lot of resources sent my way and it's just about me going and looking at it and seeing uh, what's mm-hmm. out there, they're, you know, we're all over the place. Adoptees are, they walk amongst everybody else. So I know that they're there and I would like, if there's nothing that is here, I would like to create something that's local so that I can mm-hmm. help the community here where I live. Love that. Um, but yeah, but most of it is, is, it's online. All of it's online. Actually, not most of it, all of it, all of it's online. Wow. I think that's where we've connected to. We haven't had, well, I personally haven't really connected too much with local groups I don't, especially now, I think COVID is making it extremely hard if there even was groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. online has just grown so much. And it's awesome to see just when you type adoption into Instagram, like all these different groups, mm-hmm. people who support it and therapists, it's just, I love all the resources. And I think that's the main reason why we started this is just continue to give resources and give that support to all these adoptees who have kind of just kept their words and feelings to Mm-hmm. Yeah, in kind mm-hmm. of in relation to that, like Maria, what you said about like adoptees being, you know, among us and like everyone being just this community, that's, I, I don't know, I feel like ever since just like Erica kind of just described like looking on Instagram and seeing like different, uh, different accounts and different people talking about it, it's like, I just think it's so crazy mm-hmm. that we're in year 2021. And this was not or at least, and I guess I don't know if it is a common conversation with non-adoptees yet. Like I doubt it, but like, it's mm-hmm. so weird to me that it's such a big community that just exists and keeps going and keeps growing mm-hmm. and no one ever talks about us ever. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, cause, cause we're not like, it's, it's, yeah, it's not the narrative, you know, they yeah. just talk about, you know, adoptive parents and, you know, wanting to adopt. So us finding our voices and us speaking up and saying, you know, we're going to flip the script is a term that I hear and um, take back the narrative. Like, I think it's an amazing Mm -hmm. thing because it's helped me. Uh, I joined the community um, at the end of 2019, I believe. And I was mind blown like this. Mm -hmm. What, what, like, and they're all over Mm -hmm. the U S they're all over the world. Like people are in groups, you know, there's resources out there. I was so amazed. We were awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then is that kind of what, oh, I guess first, how did you guys connect? How did the two of you meet? 
So we met through an adoptee group online called Adoptee Talk. And I believe, Maria, I, can, I always forget if it was July or August, but of last year we met. Um, and that's, uh, she was sitting in her room and she had the Ecuadorian flag behind her. And I immediately, as soon as I saw that, at first I thought she was going to be from Colombia because I have come across a lot of mm-hmm. Colombian adoptees. And I was like, there's no way she's from Ecuador. But then as soon as she said it, I was like, wow, we need to be friends. So I messaged her and I was like, this may be weird, but I really want to be your friend because I don't know a lot of Ecuadorian adoptees. Um, so that group, yeah. the community has been such a huge, it's had such an impact on my life. Because literally, it met, I led me to meet Maria, and she's one of my best friends now. So that's how it was we July, met. and yes. July is when, um, yeah, we met, and it was crazy. It was crazy for me too. She introduced herself first, and I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, "This, this is not really happening." Because I do have an Ecuadorian adoptee friend who was actually from uh, the same orphanage that I was in, but she is not in the same journey as I am, um, which is okay, you know. Um, and she's not part of this community. And so to connect with somebody who had, who had been through a reunion and, you know, adopted in the same, uh, or born in the same area, it was pretty fascinating. And yeah, August is when, is when I re- had reached out to her and uh, asked her if she wanted to start this community together. Oh, that's amazing. I love that story. That's kind of, it brings me back to Risa and I, we just worked together and then found out we were both adopted from the same place, same orphanage. It's just wow. like that instant connection is wow. so real. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, like you're my really person. Like, <laughs> yes. Like you get me. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it, 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 it takes away a lot of the struggle. The struggle is there, but it takes a lot of the struggle and feeling as though you're alone. Yes. Um, just having that support is huge. Mm-hmm. Oh Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love it so much. Oh my gosh. Well, and also I guess going back to the fact that you are kind of anticipating her to be from somewhere else, like, like Columbia, is Ecuador not a common place for adoption? Is it like a much smaller, like, I guess I don't really know much about it. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't, I don't know the difference in numbers, but I know like I had been a part of a few groups growing up. And I actually, through my adoption agency, they did, I don't, again, I don't know numbers, but they did do a good amount of adoptions from Ecuador. So we would have like gatherings when I was mm-hmm. younger, but we never didn't go any further than that. I don't remember any of them. Um, but so then when I started joining groups, when I was older, I really was coming across a lot of domestic mm-hmm. white adoptees and that I did feel support there as well, but there's a completely different layer when there's the transracial international adoption part. So I think... I just didn't, I didn't really have any luck connecting with other Ecuadorian adoptees until I met Maria. So I think, I don't know, again, I don't know the difference in numbers, but. I guess I don't hear about it like super commonly either. So, I mean, I guess it clearly there's some difference, but we run into a lot of Colombian adoptees. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's specific Facebook groups for Colombian adoptees. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's definitely a relatively Mm -hmm. prominent, I think, sector of adoptees too. Yeah, when she and I were trying to come up with, you know, the specifics on the group, I couldn't find any other groups out there because we were originally going to start out with Ecuador and I I couldn't find any Mm. that just were out, like, you know, that said Ecuadorian adoptee group. Mm. Um, So that's something definitely that Megan, you and I can kind of look into because I'm kind of curious to see, you know, like when and where and like did it slow down and where where are the Mm -hmm. Ecuadorian adoptees? Interesting. Okay, so you guys connected in july you said correct yes so then after that how did your whole group come about did it happen pretty quickly well so when i so when i met her that day you know and we were connecting um a light bulb went in my head and i said you know just like megan said like you connect with other people but there's just a different kind of connection with people who um Mm -hmm. who are more like us i mean that's just the reality of it all really and so i had said i thought to myself you know what if I create a group, you know, specifically for adoptees that are similar to me, like from the other Latin countries. And I reached out to her and I just said, Hey, I've got an idea. You don't have to, I think I said like, you you don't want to, you don't have to, but what do you think about creating an adoptee community for South Americans or Ecuadorians? And she was like, I'm in. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) okay. She was like, yeah, like whatever you need me to do. And so we literally just started brainstorming and 
uh, I mean, it might have even been in August, uh, excuse me, in July, and then we launched in August. It happened very, very quickly. Within a few weeks from meeting each other, um, we decided to go for it. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was super quick. We had our first group in August. Um, it went really fast. I know as soon as she reached out to me, I had always thought about the idea of starting some type of group. But I never really, I honestly didn't know if I could do it myself. It just seems like mm-hmm. a lot of work and a lot of like mental work as well. So as soon as she reached out to me, I was like, this is it. She found me. And oh working. my gosh, you can relate so much. Like, I was just going to say, I'm like, you guys are awesome. <laughs> it gives me chills. I just, I love it so much because I think it's, it feels like for me personally, like my purpose have that support I'm meeting amazing mm-hmm. people like you guys and where I just continue to feel connected that you just never had in your entire life and so uh, just yeah mm-hmm. excuse me chills that's awesome <laughs> that's amazing oh my gosh I love that so much yeah no I think it's like also just like the fact that because we were very similar in the way that it was uh it's I don't know it's always felt daunting to do it alone I think just because it is such a heavy topic to talk Mm -hmm. about all the time. And I noticed at least with like Erica and myself, there is so much like give and take and ebb and flow with like how we're able to support each other and keep it going. When one of us is like struggling with something, it's Mm -hmm. like we're able to take that on and we don't let it die. You know, we're just kind of like, we have to keep this going because now we as the creators and we feel it so importantly. So we're like, okay, if we were to let this die, we were letting it die for us too. And we yeah. need this just as much as everybody else that's found it, you know, because of that creation and yeah. such. So we get that. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's very beneficial to have at least mm-hmm. another person. I know for I, mm-hmm. I'm in school full time, so I'm working on my master's degree. So that we started in the summer. <laughs> I had, thank you. I had a lot of in the summer. But now that I'm back in school, um, it's it's a lot. So having somebody really there to not, like you said, not letting it mm-hmm. die because it is so important. And we just, if we need a break, yeah. we'll give each other the break. It's just been- That's awesome. That's so awesome. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk about a little bit what you guys do? So you have this community. You do meetups once a month? Yes. Yep. We do um, Zoom meetups once a month. We also recently started a new series called Lift Our Voices Up. So we're really trying to highlight the adoptee voices in our group specifically because they're just so amazing. The people that we've met, the things they're doing, it's just, they're so creative. They're so talented. So we just, as soon as we met everybody, we're like, we have to find a way to like highlight them because they're so important and the work is just amazing. So we started that. We've had two Instagram lives so far. Um, we have another one coming up next week. So we'll do Instagram lives with them, have them share their stories, whatever they want to highlight. Um, and that's normally about an hour. And then we also do an individual post on our Instagram page to really highlight the different works. So we've had somebody who's in art. So they were sharing an art project that they did. We've had somebody in beading and jewelry. So she's coming up um, and adopted that created her own mentor group. So we're just trying to highlight their voices because I don't know. It's just yeah, it's it's been going really well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think in the community too, mm-hmm. we need representation. Um, Absolutely. And that, I've been thinking yeah. about that recently. I was like, you know what, you know, just, you know, uplifting the voices within just our space, you know, what is that doing? And it's it's showing that, you know, what an adoptee may be from Latin, you know, a Latin country, um, their struggles, their story, their reclamation, their identity, and just allowing other people from the outside to kind of see this. Um, part of adoption because I don't, I haven't been able to find it, you know, growing up. And so here, yeah. we're, we're here, we're, we're producing it, we're creating it, we're sharing it so other people can see it. And um, if they do a Google search or, you know, a search in the, on Instagram, they'll be able to find it and say, ah, okay. You know, she's an adoptee mm-hmm. too, who's into beating mm-hmm. or, you know, this person is an artist and they're, you know, showing their, their um, story and voice through their art just allowing people to be able to see the representation. I think when it kind of also, at least from my perspective, what I always uh, kind of mention or something that I talk about a lot with um, just kind of the way that we've just kind of progressed as being, you know, we're adults, you know, we're trying to make ourselves something. I always say that just 
given how adoption is posed and it's currently like seen is that I think people forget that these adopted babies are becoming adult adoptees. Like that doesn't Mm -hmm. go anywhere. And I think it's, I love the fact that you guys just support and just feature the kinds of people that are just like from this community and just their accomplishments because yeah, I don't know. I just think it's a really easily forgotten thing that these babies that you're posting about being like, welcome to the family. Here's a cute, Mm -hmm. you know, sign at the airport to welcome a kid. Like, that is one tiny chapter that's the beginning of mm-hmm. so much more. Yes. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. And I don't think enough people outside of the community realize that. And that's harmful. No. That's harmful for us and for the up and coming um, adoptees that, you know, that by this community, they can see that they can, um, they can have a voice. And they should use it uh, mm-hmm. or just know that they're validated through other people's stories and journeys. Yes. When you Absolutely. Your monthly groups, what do you guys talk about? So it is a peer led group. So we normally start off with me and I'll normally read our mission statement and then me and Maria will introduce ourselves. And then we typically have like an icebreaker question so people can get to know each other and we'll go around whoever wants to share. They can share their names, um, their birth countries where they live currently, any parts of their stories, just so we can all build connections because there are a lot of us from different countries as well. So we like when we're all together to have everybody to be able maybe identify somebody from their country. Um, so we typically start out that way. And due to the size, we've grown a lot recently. So we'll break out into breakout gr- groups after that, just because it's a lot of people in one space and trying to have space for people to share. Um, it's a lot easier when we break it up. So we do that. And then Pretty much since it is peer-led, people just come with anything they mm. want to talk about. It can be adoption. It doesn't have to be adoption-related, just whatever they want to share. We've talked a lot about identity, um, going up in white spaces, um, just that isolating feeling. We talked about mental health. We talk about really anything and everything. That's so amazing. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she said it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I guess now I'm curious also. I don't know if this is springing this on you, but... Can we hear your mission statement? Yeah. Let me, yes. Just let me pull it up a one. Yeah, for sure. No, I was just kind of like, okay, she's on her laptop. It's probably in there somewhere, but like, (laughs) I'm like, I'm really curious. (laughs) Let me see. That's really awesome though. Do you have repeat people come monthly? Uh, Yes. Yes. And Mm -hmm. a lot of new faces too, which has been pretty, pretty amazing um, to see, just to see the new faces and, you know, uh, joining a space that you are not familiar with can be intimidating. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we always, you know, are very understanding if um, people may not show back up, uh, Hmm. but we, we understand the necessary, how necessary it is to have this group. So we show Mm -hmm. up and those who feel um, that it resonates with them, you know, the space is here for them to join and come in whenever they are feeling, feeling it. Yes. Also, since everybody is on different parts of their journey, we don't want anybody to feel pressured like they do have to share. So if anybody just wants to come and listen, that's totally fine as well. Um, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I do have our mission statements. So the mission statement is, this is a peer-centered group for adult adoptees from various regions of South America and extended Latin Americas. Our mission is to provide adoptees with a space for connection, support, and encouragement in any step of their journeys. And then also please remember everything discussed in the group must remain within the group. So really our focus is on making it a safe space for everybody. Um, And so far we've had people share things that are very personal and Mm -hmm. it's just the connections that have been made has been awesome. And like I said, I didn't really have connections with adoptees from South America or other Latin American countries. So now having it has been really like a game changer in my whole life. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, I love it. We're going to have to join. We tried to join last month or gosh, I guess this month, technically it's the last day, but we are going to definitely join hopefully. In- yeah. Yay. Yeah. We'd love to have you. No, wait. I guess we're kind of at the end, Risa. I know. I'm so, um, <laughs> this is such a good conversation. I love this so much. Um, I guess just kind of based on what you guys are doing currently, and obviously you guys have both mentioned that lots has changed. Um, what advice would you just kind of on a broader term or broader sense, 
what advice would you give to other adoptees just kind of based on your experience where you are now based on your demographic and you know just where you've grown up and all of that what either like towards adults and or kids you know that are kind of navigating things Mm -hmm. um I would say personally the biggest thing that I found most helpful is the community it's really changed everything like since I met Maria and everybody in the group it's really given me a space to not feel isolated and to feel validation from so many people growing up. I didn't have that. And I wish, I wish my adoptive parents would have put more focus on building me connections with adoptees because I did feel isolated for so long. So now that I am I'm 24, I don't know if I mentioned that, but now having the community, it just really gives me a space to share my feelings and my thoughts, maybe with people People that I don't even know, I feel more comfortable sharing with them because of our identity that it's just been super helpful for me. So I would say that is my biggest piece of advice for adoptees. Find the community because it is really out there for you. I agree. Yes. Same thing for me, community. I would have loved to have had that as a teenager. Um, Yes, please. Mm -hmm. You know, and (laughs) just connecting with other people. I mean, I like... I can just picture it, you know, my 16 year old self, like joining a group and just being able to feel more empowered and owning the stuff that I know, owning the stuff that I, or, you know, even owning the stuff that I don't know, but just having that support and growing up and navigating with a group who may understand, you know, um, more than my parents, more than my other friends that were not adopted. So yes, community is big, even as an adult, I mean, I'm here. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I want to be a part of the community. I want to be a safe space for the community, for people to join and to know that it's necessary really at any age. You know, I, mm-hmm. I plan on being here forever and ever. And I know that it's necessary as I continue to grow um, and as I continue to share my story and as I continue to give support to others. Mm-hmm. I love that. I guess lastly, um, what is one thing you wish people knew about adoption? That's a good question. I've recently been started. People have been asking me that a lot more recently, but I think for me, I would say that adoption isn't a one-time like incident and then it's over. Adoption is something that has impacted my life since I was born. So mm. I think a lot of people forget that once, kind of like you said, once you're adopted, people forget about the person that the adoptee becomes. So I think really focusing on us and our perspective in the community and maybe moving away from the adoptive parents and that idea has been huge. I think that is really what one of my goals is to kind of recenter the adoptees. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's good stuff. I love that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For me, it's, you know, this is just me learning over the past couple, um, well, few months since I am re- in reunion, is that d- adoption is trauma. Um, mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have known how to say that when I was 16 years old. I mm-hmm. would have, you know, maybe just felt like I was rebellious or people were, you know, viewing me as, you know, rebellious. But um, yeah, adoption is trauma. And even though um, not all adoptees are vocal about it. And, you know, some may not know that it exists or some are just like, well, that's not me. It doesn't fit me. And that's fine. Um, but the truth is mm-hmm. the matter that it affects us um, all through our, our lives, growing up from infant to adult. And, you know, like Megan said, like centering around um, the adoptee voices so that we can learn and do better, mm-hmm. you know, do better for the upcoming adoptee, well, not upcoming adoptees, but adoptees that are you know, finding their voice and that are growing up um, because they're going to be, they're going to be here in the world and they have to be able to navigate and do it safely and do it um, with support. And so I think if we just acknowledge that it's such a big thing that happens to us, acknowledging that and not making it be this beautiful, pretty thing that, you know, it's just, that's what it is. That's all it is. But acknowledging all aspects of it, the layers of it, the, the, the complexity of it all, the different um, journeys that we go on as we navigate reunion, loss, all of it, the beautiful and the ugly, I guess we can say the painful, like just really Mm -hmm. talking and knowing about all of it. That's a really good point because it's not always, you know, we've talked about this so many times, but it's not always, uh, you know, happy. It's really, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of tough situations and 
feelings and things that we go through. So I couldn't agree more with that as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh my God. I love this conversation. <laughs> I never wanted to end. This is so awesome. Well, do you guys have any, I guess, questions about us or like what we do or anything like that? Yeah. Tell us, um, I guess a little bit about, you know, I guess what kind of adoptees you are, like how you guys um, identify and where are you on your journey? Hmm. Where we're in our journey. <laughs> Erica, you start. <laughs> Okay, well, I am Erica, as you guys know at this point, but I was adopted when I was three months old from Bogota, Colombia. Um, I think myself in this, like where I'm at in the journey, I've met my birth mom when I was 18, so I was very young. I wanted to do it the moment I was able to. Mm-hmm. Just like Megan, I just felt that need almost to just have some answers, kind of have those voids full, you know, filled mm-hmm. that I was just unsure of. I don't mm-hmm. like the what ifs, so... Just knowing, good or bad, I needed to know. Um, At this point, I think I am really just understanding who I am. I think a lot of times I put a bandage or, you know, suppress all those feelings that I didn't want to feel because I didn't know what they were. And Mm -hmm. I'm understanding that it's normal. A lot of things that I feel are things that a lot of adoptees feel. You know, I'm just... I really have grown so much by doing our podcast and just connecting with a lot of adoptees. It's, it's something that I can't even really put to words. Kind of when I met my birth mom, it's an undescribable feeling. And this is how it is continually with our podcast. Cause we just keep making those connections. And I just feel like this is my purpose. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so happy. With you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so I was also adopted at three months. So Erica and I actually have pretty similar, like kind of origin stories, if you want to call it that. Um, like she mentioned earlier, we're from the same orphanage in Bogota. And we realized that, uh, within a few days of working together at our last jobs, like three or so years ago. And it was just this moment that was like, oh my God, this, like this coincidence means something. We have to do something with it. And it was, I think a little less than a year later, I was actually like, I don't know. I personally, like before having these communities to refer to every year or so, and some of it occasionally just like with my depression and anxiety has something to do with the season. So it's like Mm -hmm. sometimes in the fall time, like there would be a shift in Mm -hmm. my mental health and my mental space. And I would just be like struggling, like looking for resources and looking for things. But I felt like the place to, of what I needed was like 10 steps to get there. And I would just be exhausted by it. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is just exhausting. And I don't really, I don't feel like I'm finding resources that are helping me. It's like, I don't want to just sit and read a book. This is not doing anything. And you know, it was kind of just discouraging me. So I, I was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time and I was like, man, this would be really cool. And then I just, it was kind of like you guys said, where you were just like, yep, I'm on board. Um, cause I went to Erica one day at work. I was like, Hey, what would you think about doing a podcast? She's like, Oh my God, let's do it. So we logged on to just like a, like podcast name generator online, like later that day, and we we're just exchanging ideas. And I, that's wish fun. I could find that list of the original ones that we found because <laughs> there was a lot of weird ones, but we ended on Colombian influence that, you know, kind of trying to, um, the name trying to just kind of be around our identity and how that yeah. kind of influences us rather than it being just on adoption. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to shift it in that way and also just tying, like what I really am looking forward to doing eventually is being able to discuss the ways that certain things like especially identity can be another thing for a different community finding your identity and that Mm -hmm. that is such a I think a lost element of mental health that people don't really talk about again just being something general that adoptees deal with so severely all the time um so yeah we just kind of decided we were gonna you know start our own podcast and you know start our own resource and where I'm at, I'm, I'm 28. Um, I have not done any reunion search whatsoever. I'm not really sure that that's for me. Um, and I guess part of that also just goes into the fact that I, 
kind of want to normalize that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, as far as like first questions when they hear you're adopted is, oh, where are you from? How old right. are you? Have you met your well, real parents? Is right. how they put it, obviously, but have you met your bio family? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, no. And they're like, why? I'm like, that's a really nosy question, first of all. But mm-hmm. second of all, it's just like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that, like, I, I like where we're at with the podcast and like just it being now just being like Erica said, like my purpose and like finding that to be so important to me and being that kind of filling the gaps and Mm -hmm. filling in the holes and just, I'm never going to understand everything ever, but this kind of makes it a little bit easier and just kind of like educating other people, educating myself and just kind of being able to share those stories and talk about the the nitty gritty, I guess. Mm -hmm. I really like that. I really like that you, um, that you're owning that because yeah, I think that there are a lot of expectations that are put on us. Mm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And um, it's not good. It's not healthy. And so I applaud you for making that choice. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I have a question. Were you both in the orphanage together or at different times? Or do you know? No, we were a couple of years apart, sadly. Okay. <laughs> and we did the 23 Me. We're not related. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that would be crazy. I know, but I you know, know. It's still connection is still like sisterly in a sense. Yeah, yeah. really. Oh, very much. Yeah, definitely more family than family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we appreciate it so much. Truly, I think this is a connection that you know we'll stay in touch a lot. We've really yes helped that through this interview with you guys, getting to know you better, and just excited to see where you guys will go and grow and we'll definitely join into your next session so that is going to be super fun to kind of see what you guys do yeah thank you so much for having us this was great yes and let's keep the connection going yes please yeah this was a great conversation i needed it so (laughs) thank you guys so much thank you thank you very much (sighs) that was a really good conversation i know i feel refreshed i just feel i feel connected to them like i feel like i'm not too and I also, like, I am just, like, obsessed with the fact that I feel like their vibes, the two of them, are so much like ours. Yes. That's why I feel what? like Wait. They have this, like, almost exact experience we did. And I think it's just been amazing. And I'm so glad they're able to do that because, again, like I've said in this entire episode, I just feel so validated and appreciated by you and the support and just having someone understand me. I've said this so many times, but it's you you need that and I can't I can't have that with anybody else you know mm-hmm. so, all I was gonna say so definitely check them out on Instagram and join their yeah. session because I know it is so beneficial to just even like they said if you don't want to talk or speak about anything just be there and you listen observe, yeah. your feelings are normal and you know just having that group to or like how is the community Mm-hmm. Having that to just support you in wherever part of your journey you're at. Yeah. And I, I think it's really cool also that they're just doing this from like afar. Like I can't even imagine living the, so far away. And I guess we didn't get to ask if they've actually met in person at this point, but they didn't mention that they did. And I, to ask. Not with COVID. Not you know? with the timing. No, it doesn't. No. I mean, I'd be surprised if they did with the timing, considering mm-hmm. like when they just met. That was super yeah, recent. Yeah, but COVID, back to school, I doubt it. But I mean, I guess. Yeah. No. <laughs> the fact that they're doing this based on a kind of a group setting of just like this community and just this conversation. It's like, I don't know. I feel like even just the conversation the four of us just had. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know. It feels like it was just like a big hug, you know, and it was just like wow. such a warm, like comfortable conversation. Like we're literally all from the same, like cut from the same cloth, essentially. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It feels good to continue to find more people like us. Mm-hmm. And also just be able to just the way that the conversation was going was, um, kind of giving each other like different ideas of like how to frame certain things. And I think that's really hopefully what especially, you know, can help people that are trying to figure out and make sense of where they came from. Uh, Just because I think a a lot of what adoption is, is the uncertainty. 
And yeah. a lot of like what it is, I mean, you can't change the past. It's all about mm-hmm. reframing. And I think us having the ability for the four of us to be able to exchange and like ping pong ideas and say, this is maybe how this com- like is feeling. Oh, that's a really good point. This is how I can contribute to that, you know, fact. So I don't know. I think that was just really productive and I'm really excited to, you know, get to know them more too. Uh, be sure to go check out their groups and their conversations with their community. So you might see us there as well. So come join us sometime. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us at Colombian Influence on Facebook and all social media platforms. And just remember, even if you're not an adoptee, you can still benefit and learn a lot about adoptees and just the community that we're trying to build and you know, lift up the adoptee's voice. So thank yes. you for joining us today. And we are so excited to see you on our next episode. Until next time. Bye. Bye.